Welcome to the Almost Always Never podcast. I'd like to thank Reed for for the use of their song Slow from the album Bedford to Bellmead. Before we get started, I do have a little announcement. Read for the band that does our intro and outro song. They released a new song for the theatrical release of the movie Morbid Colors, and it's called Cocoon, and you should check it out. It's really great. I enjoy it, and I will post a link to where you can listen to that song. I recommend all their music, obviously, but that particular song, since it's a Halloween episode, well, it's not a Halloween-themed episode, but I am trying to release it in time for Halloween, so the Morbid Colors movie and the Cocoon song kind of has a Halloween concept, so that is why I'm saying this announcement here. So about this episode, this feels like the episode that didn't want to get made or released, or it's given me all kinds of problems. I recorded the whole thing and then lost the audio. I think something was wrong with the microphone. And now I am recording on my phone in my car, but I thought I had found like a quiet place to record and it's been raining all morning so I have no idea if this is going to work or not. I hope so. I would like to talk about something that I find really interesting so if this doesn't work either and if I can't get it out in time for Halloween because I have some Halloween announcements at the end of the episode too so yeah let's just cross our fingers and hope that I actually get this recorded this time and that it works. I wanted to do a research spotlight for this episode about a really interesting study and article that came out I think in 2018 and it was talking about the Scully effect and it was research that was done by the 21st Century Fox Company which if you know the X-Files TV show if you know the Scully character from X-Files that was a show that ran on the Fox network from 1993 to 2002 and then they ran it again in 2016 and then again in 2018 probably everybody is familiar with that Fox property the study was also done in collaboration with the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media and if you're not quite sure what that that institute is. Their statement says they were founded in 2004 by Academy Award winning actor Gina Davis. We're the only organization working collaboratively within the entertainment industry to engage, educate, and influence the creation of gender balanced on screen portrayals, reducing harmful stereotypes, and creating an abundance of unique and intersectional female characters in entertainment targeting children 11 and under. And this research was also done with the J. Walter Thompson Intelligence. I didn't know what that was. It's a, I think it's a specialized media marketing company. Their statement says, J. Walter Thompson Intelligence is a new specialized practice at the J. Walter Thompson Company, offering a unique blend of research, innovation, and data analytics across its global network. So that's a little bit about who conducted the study. It's always important when you're looking at any kind of research to bear in mind who performed the research, any potential bias they might have, who funded it, maybe uh, think about what the possible goals for the research would be. Those are all important questions to think about. For this research that was conducted on the Scully effect, I wouldn't assign any sinister motives or anything to those people. I do think obviously Fox is interested in promoting its X-Files property and the research was done in 2018 while the Fox network was actively um, running a show. So I think part of the goal of the research was promotion. But working with the Gina Davis Institute, I do think, um, I do think the intention was mostly noble there. I don't have any issues with who did the research and what their goals might have been. So on to the research itself. 
This was a study that attempted to measure three things. Influence on attitudes towards STEM, influence on STEM behaviors, studying and or working in a STEM field, and then views on Dana Scully as a role model. And just as a background, uh, they provided this background. It's not research that I conducted um, about the issues surrounding the study. Three things to bear in mind. Women are about half of the U.S. workforce that are college educated. So half of the U.S. college educated workforce are women, but fewer than a quarter of those women work in STEM fields. 10% of graduate degrees earned by women are in STEM versus 24% for men. And then they point out that many causes have been identified in past research on the STEM gender gap, including stereotypes, lack of early encouragement, and gender discrimination in STEM fields. And this is from the article that accompanies the report, which I'll link to both of those in the show notes. And says, quote, Scully was one of the first multidimensional female characters in a science, technology, engineering, and math mathematics field to be featured on a popular television show and the first to play a leading role. She is known for her objectivity, skepticism, confidence, and brilliance. In the world of entertainment media, where scientists are often portrayed as white men wearing white coats and working alone in labs, Scully stood out in the 1990s as the only female STEM character in a prominent primetime television role, end quote. And I want to stop right there with that. Um, I, I don't have any problem with them characterizing her role that way or her impact on pop culture and being a woman, a female character in STEM. I am a little confused, though, as to whether they're including medicine in STEM. I don't see why you wouldn't, and they don't really say, but I seem to remember shows like Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, and ER was huge at the time that uh, Scully was a prominent pop culture icon. So I don't know if that's a research blind spot. I don't know. They didn't say that they weren't including medicine, so I don't know why they they would treat her as a, a unicorn female figure in STEM at the time. I mean, she's, I'm absolutely going to say she was a very prominent female STEM character in the 1990s. I just don't think she was the only one. Okay, so then on to the study itself. The um, particulars about the study, there was an online survey done, conducted over five days in February of 2018, and it involved 2,021 opt-in participants. The participants were female, age 25 and older, and the study purposely oversampled women who were working in STEM fields, and they oversampled viewers of the X-Files. And the research gives a very long explanation in a footnote of the oversampling, and I think it's worth quoting, just in case you don't have a lot of familiarity with survey methods. I think there's something we can all learn here. Quote, the use of conventional random sampling was not an option for this study, given that only about 1% of women in the U.S. work in a STEM profession, and about 3% of women in the U.S. watch the X-Files. The size of the random sample required to to draw accurate conclusions about these two subpopulations would have been time and cost prohibitive. Thankfully, oversampling is a valid and reliable way of getting more accurate results by reducing the margin of error for smaller subpopulations. Parentheses, the margin of error decreases as the sample size increases. So oversampling the subpopulation reduces sampling error and allows us to more accurately determine if differences pertaining to the group are statistically significant. In parentheses, continuing with the quote, we deliberately included more women in STEM professions and viewers of the X-Files in the sample to get a statistically significant survey for that group. Then we weighted down to ensure that the oversampling of each group did not skew the findings, end quote. So I apologize if that's a lengthy quote, but I think for those of us that don't do research professionally, it helps to have some of these statistics and survey methods explained. Sometimes it's not real clear whether or not oversampling is a reason for concern or not. So as far as what the survey population, what the demographics actually looked 
like. A third of the respondents were age 25 to 39, so two-thirds of the respondents were age 40 or older. Half of the respondents had studied a STEM field in college or currently worked in STEM. Two-thirds of the respondents had seen an episode of The X-Files. 39% had seen the show eight or more episodes. They're considering that that latter group, that people who had seen eight or more episodes, they're considering them medium-heavy viewers, is what they're titling them. It says medium heavy viewers are 50% more likely to have worked in a STEM field than light viewers. My main takeaway from the research itself and the article that accompanies it is that they say, quote, nearly two thirds, 63% of women who are familiar with Dana Scully say she increased their belief in the importance of STEM, end quote. And I... I think that's really what they set out to achieve here with this research was of the women who are studying STEM, working in STEM, involved in STEM in some way, was their viewership of Dana Scully instrumental in that choice? Did this positive portrayal of a female character in STEM, did that inspire future STEM work and study? And they say, quote, a vast majority of women who are familiar with Scully's character on the X-Files say she is a role model for girls and women, and nearly two-thirds of women who work in STEM say that Scully served as their personal role model. When asked about the impact of Scully's character, most women in the sample agree that Scully is a strong, smart, and intelligent character who increased their confidence to excel in a male-dominated profession. End quote. I think it's very interesting that those three were, they, they mentioned this as well, that those were the top keywords, that strong, smart, and intelligent. I don't have any, um, I don't have a problem with any of those, but I think it's interesting that doctor isn't one of the top keywords that comes to mind with Scully. Possibly my only complaint with that show ever is is the number of times that she reminds people she's a doctor. I don't think it happens as much in the later seasons, but maybe the the first few seasons, it seems like every episode she's, you know, trust me, I'm a doctor kind of deal. But that's, if that's, that's my biggest complaint. So it's not, a, obviously I like the show. So I think for me, tying it into steam instead of just strictly STEM. Um, I don't know how practical it is from a research standpoint, but I would have been really interested in the survey respondents' thoughts about this. What I like about the show is the way that it does combine those lab science questions with a deeper philosophy literature kind of standpoint. Um, I'm thinking like the voiceovers and the narrations and things and some of the writing that her character specifically does. You know, when we think about STEAM as integrating science and technology into the arts, into writing. What the X-Files did so beautifully, I think, is combine mythology with scientific curiosity. So it would have been really interesting to, to somehow survey that, somehow quantify and turn that into some kind of research. But they didn't do that. They stuck to, did she inspire strictly STEM fields? So we have to go with what we have. And just because I can, I'm going to do a Scully quote that I really love. Um, it's one of my favorites. I think it really speaks to STEAM and scientific curiosity. So if you will indulge me, this quote comes from season four, episode 18. And just for context, Scully's holding uh, Apollo 11 keychain. She says, quote, I actually was thinking about this gift that you gave me for my birthday. You never got to tell me why you gave it to me or what it means, but I think I know. I think that you appreciate that there are extraordinary men and women and extraordinary moments when history leaps forward on the backs of these individuals, that what can be imagined can be achieved, that you must dare to dream, but that there's no substitute for perseverance and hard work and teamwork because no one gets there alone, and that while we commemorate the greatness of these events and the individuals who achieved them. We cannot forget the sacrifice of those who make these achievements and leaps possible. And then Mulder says, I just thought it was a pretty cool keychain. <laughs> 
if you love the show, you love the show. If you watched it and didn't like it, then this, you probably didn't even click on this episode because you wouldn't care about the Scully effect. So anyway, we all love X-Files here at this podcast. That's all I'm saying. Okay, so that was the first research spotlight. I plan to do hopefully many, many more of those. Um, I'm hoping that if I do enough of these brief kind of research recaps that it might, you know, the next time that the evening news talks about a study or a breakthrough or something, it might interest you. It might catch your attention and make you curious about how to locate the research itself and how to engage with the research. Because believe me, I understand that it's intimidating and I'm by no means, I'm not doing research. There are so many people who have forgotten more about scientific research than I will ever know. But Uh, you have to start somewhere. And this study seemed pretty accessible, so I thought I would start with this one. So anyway, just wrapping up with this episode, I wanted to say, um, if you stuck with me this far, I'm hoping to get this released in time for Halloween. And if you are looking for sort of a background Halloween entertainment, sort of a little bit non-traditional, I have two really, really great podcast episodes that I listen to around this time every year. One is the Maritime History Podcast. He does a reading of of, um, I think it's just a short story. He does a reading of a short story called The Ghost Ship, and it's very good. It's very atmospheric. It's eerie. It's haunting. It's very sad. Kind of funny. It's funny in the way that, like, turn-of-the-century British literature is funny. It's just a little, it's a little off. It's something different. And then the other one, the Dangerous History Podcast, one of my favorites. I love that podcast. Can't recommend it highly enough. Professor C.J. Kilmer, this particular episode that I'm going to link to, he he reads one of his own stories and it involves Florida and it's really great. I enjoyed that a lot. I have personal connections to Florida. So to me, he really nailed a good Halloween story involving Florida. Plus he also, for what it's worth, he also reads The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving and having someone, that's really a story I think that should be read aloud. He does a really great job of narrating it. So hopefully you'll enjoy those two links and I hope you enjoyed the episode as a whole. And if you have any feedback about the research, you can email me at admin at aanpodcast.com or you can connect with us at Instagram or Twitter. And as always, I want to thank you for joining me for another episode of the Almost Always Never podcast. And I hope you have a great rest of your day.